to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levane, and as the title of the podcast implies, I am a first-timer in that I had never seen a single episode of Doctor Who until I started this podcast, and now every single week I sit down, I watch an episode, I get super excited, and then I have some of the nerdiest conversations with Doctor Who experts to help fill out anything that I may have missed and make the episode that much more exciting. And this week we are talking about, I guess it's the beginning of the end, it's the end of time part one, which was another special because British episodic television. Uh, (laughs) And to, I guess, bring the beginning of the end to life, I asked one of my regular super intelligent, super knowledgeable Doctor Who experts, and that is John Sobel. Thank you for having me. Welcome to uh, the end of time itself. The end of time itself. And uh, dear listener, before we jump in, because I am eager to have this discussion, I will warn you, in the course of our discussion, almost immediately, I would say, we are going to spoil this episode. So I don't want to rob you of the joy uh, of the fun that is watching this episode. So please, if you have not, pause the podcast now, go watch the show, and come back and join us so that you can get like I said at the intro, the most out of it. So here we go. The, the only way I can start you. this is <laughs> holy poop. Yeah, there you go. He's back. Yes. I thought that ring was just going to be like a Ming the Merciless, like you were just going to have like the ring of power kind of thing. No, no, it brings him back. He he had a horcrux. It was a horcrux. Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's you know those things with those silly uh, time lords that they have uh, so many ways of being able to cheat death they and can put themselves the into things. Yes. Now, when <laughs> I recorded, uh, you were not with me when I recorded the. Um, the episode in which the the doctor put himself into the watch, the the family of blood. Um, but no. you did share on a text, on a personal text, uh, you sent me a photo and you said, this will make sense eventually. Uh, and it was the, the FOP watch. You, you have yes, that have FOP, watch. Do, FOP watch. Do, do you have the master's ring too? I do not have master's ring. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, because I, I don't want that not, guy to come back. <laughs> no, I have other rings. Well, let's. Uh, the master is once when you know one part, but John Sims. Oh my God, is he good? John Sims, the actor. John Sim, the the guy that plays the, who, the master, who played the master. Oh my oh, God, okay. is he good? Oh, oh, yes. oh, yes, yes. I mean. It immediately, this this episode launches, and you see him. Uh, you you see the master represented in this brief little flash that everybody in the world seems to be able to see in their dreams. And you see this flash, and immediately I was like, "All right, here we go." And I mean, 
I, I kind of knew to expect it, the drums thing, uh, you know, th- there were, there were several hints that the master was coming back, but still to actually see that man represented, it made my skin crawl. He was such a threat and, and it was such an emotional episode for the doctor that the moment I saw him, I was like, oh no. And it just filled me with dread. Right. And one of those little wonderful things when when they talked about he will knock four times, the minute I heard that, I knew that meant the master. Or did it? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the so, drum beat, I remember uh, when uh, uh, going back to Martha's season when they first got back after the master had regenerated uh, and stolen stolen the TARDIS. And they were sitting in Martha's room and everyone had that four beat that you know, in their head mm-hmm. that they were tapping along because they just couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that drum beat is so important it's, uh, in the master and it will play in even more so later on. So uh, it, it was interesting because, yes, it was a Horcrux uh, and down to like the whole uh uh, the way that he gets resurrected is very reminiscent of that scene in Harry Potter where it's like the hand of the servant willingly given the blood of the, you know, the a, a little uh, handkerchief with the lipstick from the woman that, you know, he last kissed. <laughs> like it was hilarious. Uh, and the, the entire time I was like, so space sorcery? Yeah. That's what the master's into now? He's a space sorcerer? You know, he's into whatever can get him back. So And and uh, and back he comes, but he So he he comes back and again I'm like jumping fandoms here left and right. So we go from Harry <laughs> Potter to Spider-Man because he's got like the electro like you know, he's almost the the uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Fox character in the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, it was. That's it, it was uh, obviously you're doing. This is a uh, a Christmas episode. It's a special. It's the uh, the last uh, of uh, of uh, Davies uh, putting. So he's making this as big as possible. So he used the. Um, the fact that the interruption that Lucy uh, uh, did of her bad Lucy Saxton of her bad uh, potion to mm-hmm. try to terminate uh, the master coming back um, put his whole body in flux and therefore gave him these powers, but the powers are draining his life force. So, so it's something that is useful, but at the same point, it can will wind up killing him in the end, uh, right? So, and so it gives him the powers of lightning. It gives him that like superhuman jump. It gives him that uh, Ghost Rider like weird, you know, flashy skull thing, right? But it it's draining. Is it draining that particular? Because we determined that the Time Lords have regenerations. Is it draining this particular regeneration's power source? And if he were to trigger the regeneration, he would continue to be in flux? It, basically, what they're trying to say is that what he's doing is causing 
his entire life force to be drained. Oh, so th- so this is draining everything, is so, not just the yeah, regeneration. That's why, right. This is why the doctor is so into trying to stop him, trying to save him. They were childhood friends. Which we got a little bit more, and I appreciated right. that uh, the, the visual of both of them running through a field of tall red grass. Right. It seems like everything in Gallifrey is like a, a shade of red, because they've discussed the sky being like a, the color of amber. It's a little off, but, you know, when you have that much time energy around flowing through going, it's definitely a... Uh, a problem. It's definitely going to change your atmosphere. Uh, oh, so the entire the entire planet of Gallifrey is part of the time vortex. Is that what it's? It has the vortex somewhere there that they can tap into. So one would one would assume that you are looking into the time vortex um, at some point to um, to learn how to become a time Lord or to become a time Lord. There's so many ways back and forth that they've discussed this old, you know, the, the, the original show, the, the, the uh, newer versions mm-hmm. uh, that they all get a little confused here and there, but it's, but it's definitely the time vortex is a part of Gallifrey. So it is in the planet. It's not like it's something the that they can tap into and harness, but it's it's part of the planet itself. Well, but they have been able to tap into it because that's what the, the, the TARDIS has the heart of the the heart of the right, galaxy. Right, right. Like into it, I so guess it's the way able I, to be harnessed to some extent. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess the way I saw it or envisioned it or imagined it uh, when it was described the first time we met the Master is that it was kind of like a reflecting pool. So, like, as if somehow they had, you know, harnessed the ability to look into it without it actually being present. Um, but what you're saying is that 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 time force is present in the planet. I believe so. Yes, and that's been pretty, uh, to, you know, determined how that uh, is. Um, Interesting. Through various various you know ways that you're you know of, there's books there's uh, audio books etc. <laughs> that that's uh, th- that changes uh, my perception a little bit because like I said I, I envisioned it was some sort of like uh, be a technology or you know some sort of uh, like I said mirror kind of thing where they they would or like you know, space window that they would look into and there's the time vortex and you can look straight into it kind of thing uh, at your Gallifreyan Boy Scout meeting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then you get your Time Lord uh, merit badge. Um, But the idea that the entire planet is infused with that vortex and uh, that's interesting. Wow, that's really interesting. Almost like the planet was created around the vortex, right? Uh, that's how I put it. They all, is this is this canon? Uh, who knows? Is there anything <laughs> that's truly canon in what? Doctor Who? Who knows? And, but that's how I've always put it. And I did ask. Uh, I asked this of um, uh, of Eric uh, as well. That during the fight with the Master and during that discussion. Uh, it, it seemed, uh, at least to me, again, the implication uh, around that discussion being that 
the not all Gallifreyans are Time Lords. Time Lords are Gallifreyans that have managed to go through that, you know, passage of right moment where they stare into the vortex. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay. Because I also like that idea <laughs> that there could be people from Gallifrey that don't necessarily possess the full on oh, yes. gifts of the Time Lord uh, because they didn't participate in, you know, uh, I guess the space sorcery uh, <laughs> of it all, like uh, like the master does in this episode. Um, but getting back to the episode itself, uh, you see, you know, the 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 master has this ravenous appetite, uh, and it seems to be not just uh, well, it, it does, of course, uh, manifest itself as the the appetite for the life force of uh, humans, but also like actual food um, oh yeah well and then, <laughs> yeah it's a way to keep him a little creepier but and keep the the humans close by yeah because I, I mean without it, them freaking out right away it definitely turns him into uh a more i mean as if he could be any more menacing now that we know who he is and what he does it now gives him that uh that 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 monster trope you know the the idea that he's not just uh menacing psychologically speaking but there is a, a hunger a physical uncontrollable hunger that drives him and leads to uh some of the menace that he exhibits in this episode yes that's wow yeah and it's it makes him uh, all the more creepy um, as you get you know, a little later on in the episode when he is, uh, well, let's wait when, for that. Let's <laughs> wait, actually he, go in order a little bit. When he consumes the entire chicken. Uh, turkey, yeah. <laughs> or turkey, yes. Uh, so th- meanwhile, the, the, the doctor, uh, <laughs> jumping back to the beginning, the doctor goes to the Ood planet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the doctor runs into an ood, and it seems like domesticated and undomesticated ood alike are living in, I guess, that original planet that him and Donna visited because there was yeah, the snow. Ood, the ood sphere. The ood sphere. Uh, and they've they've you know basically started a, a an entire civilization. They have buildings and. You know, they're no longer just cave dwellers hiding in the darkness. Yes, no, they've, uh, it's been a hundred years since the last time that the doctor was there and they've been able to build up a lot. Right. And, and the doctor is invited into some, uh, weird Ood seance uh, where we see the 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 ood with the weird exposed brain is that what became of that original ood brain that we saw? And it's, your it, guess is as good as mine. <laughs> the the evolution of it because I mean he he was definitely an undomesticated ood. He he had his uh, real brain in his hand, not the orb. Right. 
So it, it, it I mean, it, it's cool either way that the Ood come back in the way that they are now sort of a full-fledged uh, race. They're not just the subservient uh, pets or slaves of other races or humans. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, but they, they, they drop some stuff. They, they, they hint at some things uh, as if they have somehow gained the ability to look into the future and, and, and into time itself. Is, well, is that something relating to, you know, the Doctor and the Time Lords? Or is it's, that, uh, no, uh, it's just, just their, their evolution, but they've, you know, were able to reach back, as the Doctor said, is reach back through time to call for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, as you saw the Ood standing there in the uh, previous episode. Mm. Uh, so that was like a an inter-time call where they're like, hey, doctor, right. we need you to come back. Yeah, come we'll on over here. Soon. We got to talk to you for a few minutes. <laughs> okay, see you later. But, Bye. And then right. they disappear. But like, you know, traditional, like anything that the doctor does, he's saying, ah, I, had to, I had to go do a few things first. And they kept saying, you shouldn't have wasted the time. Right. Not exactly in those terms, but that was, you know, you shouldn't have taken so long. Right. You shouldn't have delayed in, in, in coming to us. And he, he, he went to, you know, and, you know found a... Uh, universe and named it Allison and he went to a couple of places and got married and he thought it was a mistake and just kind of bounced around a little bit before doing this because he knew from the last time that they were talking about and you know that they said his uh, his song is ending that he didn't want to necessarily go uh, which I, I see them I, I like that response it's like you said the next time or that that my song was ending, and I'm not ready for that. <laughs> uh, which you know, that's uh, that's not something we've seen. At least you know, I, I've only seen the one regeneration, and it it was very much a you know, I did a thing. I was heroic. Uh, that depleted my life force. I am now going to regenerate. And this doctor is like, I don't want to regenerate. <laughs> I don't want to become right. a new, whole new person and, and uh, you know, have every part of me die and then be reborn. Uh, which, you know, the, that's, uh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, you know? And obviously, as we see it, uh, knowing that it's a TV show, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, that actor stops playing it. And another actor starts playing it. So it's completely different different person but obviously you know as a time lord you have all your memories you have all your feelings but it must be hard to the people around and obviously it was it took rose a long time to feel the same with 10 as he as she did with nine yes um that it it's that doing a a full-blown regeneration, unlike the one, the, the half-ish regeneration we had earlier on this season, um, which created the uh, the Dr. Donna st- 
stuff. Dr. Don. Right. That uh, a full blown regeneration, you know, changes everything. Obviously it's you, you don't, you know, as the doctor said in the Christmas invasion, you know, he's got, you know, new teeth. He's got to do this. He's that. He doesn't know who he is. Is he this type of person or that type of person? Mm -hmm. So it really is a complete change. And so, uh, it's not, it's not unusual that the doctor is alone in doing this, uh, in, in changing because it's hard for companions and mm-hmm. it can, uh, I can only imagine how hard it would be. Sure. Yeah, this is the same person that looks completely different <laughs> and acts different and, uh, carries on differently. Uh, right, exactly. you, you mentioned Donna and, uh, she, you know, I, th- I thought this would just be the, the Wilfred show, but she does, uh, make sort of a, an insulary appearance and, uh, you know, we see like we see the doctor still interested in her. We see the doctor respond when she gets very, very mouthy with the uh, police officer about her car. Uh, and I, I really I, I like the I like the fact that while he is dealing with all of this, he still has that mental moment to be like, oh, that's 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 the Donna I know. Um, and, and still be, you know, very adamant about making sure it's like, you know, we cannot let her in or it will destroy her. And I don't want to destroy her, um, which also leads to as, uh, well, so jumping out of that, I, I love that idea. I love that we see Donna. I really appreciate oh, yes. her return. I loved, um, I loved, and loved that it was the Donna of old that she hadn't grown at all. Right, right. Because um, and we we I, I, we mentioned this in the podcast before, um, and it is definitely that that crude, uh, more unrefined version of Donna, but still. Yes. Uh, we also jump to this very wealthy man and his daughter. Uh, have, did I miss him? Like, was he sort of set up in previous episodes or he was no. just kind of, okay. Cause it was never, never before mentioned. And, and anybody who is currently watching any superhero television, um, knows that he's, uh, currently, uh, the actor is on, uh, Supergirl. Oh, okay. Uh, playing Sean Jones, the uh, Martian Manhunter. Mm. So, uh, like him a lot. I have his name here somewhere. Where's my <laughs> eight eight thousand notes? Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Just uh, David Harewood. David um, Harewood. Yes. Um, and with a with a really good American accent, which I only just realized wasn't put on accent. Mm. Had no clue. Everything I've seen him in, in this, in Supergirl, he's played an American. So mm-hmm. I had no clue that he wasn't American uh-huh. until. Um, I saw something recently because of uh, uh, the end of Supergirl is ending and there was a whole uh, circle of the people and and talking about uh, what they're going to miss and what was their favorite parts, et cetera, et cetera. And he was talking in his regular voice and it was, (laughs) whoa, that's a really thick accent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I love the fact that, uh, you know, for 
we we've had moments of Doctor Who where you know he's crossed the pond and he's been in Arizona and he's been in New York, um, but here in the modern time, uh, we are introduced to the fact that you know here is and it is mentioned by name Barack Obama. And he's going oh, yes. to save the world. He is going to make an announcement on Christmas Eve that will save the world. Uh, and it just reminded me of those those moments in time where we're like, ah, remember when we didn't have to worry about global politics? <laughs> remember when we just had to create fictional uh, hardships because life was uh, life was pretty good back then. I know we didn't think it was, but life, that life was pretty good. I, uh, yes, we were going through a recession and all, but ah, uh, uh, and and that mention, and it's hilarious because you never really quite see him. Uh, but I half expected uh, uh, Jordan, uh, uh, not Jordan Peele, yeah, Jordan Peele, uh, to show up and be be the one playing the president. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> because of his good impersonation. Um, I was yeah, I was kind of I was surprised and yet on not surprised. They actually, it's, if, unless I'm wrong and I've not found anything to tell me otherwise, the uh, when he started talking, I believe that was actually Barack Obama, and they took it from a speech. Yeah, it, it very it uh, sounded it, very much like it was. It was yeah, because it was it was too generic to yeah uh, that they could have easily found it from somewhere that they needed to uh, instead of you know specific about the uh, right, having... worldwide you know, <laughs> the, the, you know the problem in the problem in this in this version of the world right right um, but it, it was it was interesting because it is the first time in which we see uh, a, a different superpower because it's always been the prime minister. Uh, that has addressed the, the, the world, you know, uh, there's a spaceship and it's, here's the prime minister addressing the world. Uh, so it, it, and to introduce a real politician, a real name, uh, was, was an interesting, uh, decision. Uh, it definitely dates the, when this would have happened in, in regular timeline, uh, which would have been fine from when the show first aired. But, you know, watching it now, like I said, it arcing back to those good old days where I didn't have right. to worry about people rushing the Capitol or any of that stuff. Uh, so made me a little nostalgic. Uh, but uh, it was cool. It was cool to see that all of a sudden the U.S. is involved in this global. Yeah. And it was a good way to expand it outside of the bounds of where Doctor Who tends to play, right. which is, you know, all, all these threats and all these, uh, you know, world ending uh, situations only happen in the UK. Uh, you know, Daleks coming out of uh, wormholes and, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all of these things. So it was, it, I, I appreciated that a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, for the sake of brevity, to get back to the master, he, was he planning to get caught? Did he know about this device that uh, the 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 father daughter team had? I think he had an inkling, uh, as uh, Mister Naismith says, it was uh, found after the fall of Torchwood, 
which is then which you have to watch the fall of torture. Uh, I was going to say that that (laughs) seems to tie into a show I have not yet delved into. Yes. Yes. And that would be uh, season. uh, You would, that would be from season three of Torchwood. Mm. Um, That's one show I know I've been watching. I rewatched that recently. I'm in the middle of actually season four, but um, so that would be during season three of Torchwood that all this, that they'd happened that, uh, and then he found it. But I believe that if uh, that kind of power uh, of what it actually could do uh, as the aliens that were keeping an eye on it, the scavenger race that were keeping an eye on it, um, said, I think that kind of power, uh, someone like a Time Lord, someone who could see the way the Doctor sees everything, could sense it. Maybe you have to be tuned a certain way. So the doctor couldn't sense it, but the master could. But I believe that kind of power. Well, because the, the, well, the master altering. Yeah, uh, the, there are several moments where the master says, um, "He can smell me. He can smell me." Assuming that he's talking about the doctor and being able to find him, uh, but then he he in like it, through his acting we see that he's definitely able there there's some extrasensory things going on so uh i just i assumed that the do, that the master knew that should he uh end up in a confrontation with the doctor that that would draw the attention of this person and ultimately uh deliver him directly to where he needed to be in order for this thing to happen um but and before we we talk about the thing so there's the you you mentioned uh a race of scavengers so these cree looking uh spiky looking cactus i think is what wilford yeah. calls yeah. them uh they're they're a scavenger race yeah the vinvachi <laughs> yes which they, they make it a big point to say we are this type not the other type Right, they're not the Zachi, which is uh, the the, the race red. that uh, yeah, the, that was uh, from Voyage of the Damned. The, the little uh, uh, I can't think of it, Buffalada. <laughs> yeah, Buffalada, yeah. uh, something else. Yeah, that uh, the, which was actually he was actually a cyborg, but that was that was his race, yeah, planet, his just original like, yeah, uh, race. Yeah, just like the. Uh, uh, the way they do that where, you know, similar, similar planets are, you know, sharing. Um, yes. That, that race that like, we are yes. not part of the Slovene. We are not. <laughs> right. And I can't think of it right now. Don't ask me. I know I had it memorized, but it's not, it's not coming to me right this second. We've moved on everybody. It's, We've moved it's on, fine. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, so it, they were just basically like, they were hoping to be able to take the whole thing home. But it wasn't working, so they were just like patiently waiting until it would get activated, and then the master yeah, just working, activates working it. Working on it a little bit, <laughs> working on it a little bit here, or there, just so they can get it to work, and then they could, you know, beam, I guess, beam it on their ship or whatever they would actually do. Right, to, right. And so the, the master it. usurps it, hacks into it, and using it, he instead of healing the world, he use he takes over the world. By cloning himself, is that would that be an accurate depiction? He well, from what I what I'm going to, I'm going to say this for the first time. Uh, he took his he 
pushed his DNA into all humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they would, the way they would heal a person, uh, he just moved, he pushed his DNA. So everybody, every person in the world became full of the DNA of the master and therefore became the master. So, and here's the nerdy questions. The machine is meant to heal, but not heal just one individual, heal an entire world. He usurps it to do this, but he's in that weird state of flux. So that the machine stabilize him? Or is he still in a state of flux? And we're going to do this for the first time today. Spoilers. There we go. go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Um, So generally, uh, in in a weird turn, in, in a weird way, this whole episode, things are happening to the doctor, but the doctor is for the second or third time that I can remember only, He's behind the eight ball on this one. He is not. He is on his yeah. He is on his heels the entire time. He's right. he's constantly play, playing catch up. Uh, which I discussed uh, when when he was first dealing with the master, and he is once again seemingly not on top of what is happening. So uh, there is a. There's a little bit that is interlaced throughout the episode, and we see him for a short little bit of time, uh, in that we see Timothy Dalton. And at first, I'm like, why are we seeing the guy that's narrating? Is this turning into the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Is he going to tell us how the doctor was on a strange night out that he would never forget? (laughs) Um, And then it's revealed at the very end of the episode. It's revealed that somehow whatever the master has done has led to the resurgence, the reappearance of all of Gallifrey, of all the Time Lords? Question mark? Question mark, yeah. It's obviously not mentioned much in this episode, but it's clearly... Somewhere, uh, the doctor has made mention of it that the entire time war has been time locked, right? So no one can go visit it anymore. But that meant that the the planet Gallifrey had been time locked, uh, which is why all the rest of the time lords were gone because they were all stuck in this time lock. Well, but they, they were something dead. is. He said they well, they're gone. They're dead. They're right. He's gone. right. Yeah, well, he says a lot of things. Um, I'm going to give you this one just because. Spoilers. <laughs> okay. But somehow, some way, the there's something going on with all of that Time Lord energy on the planet has some on the planet Earth has somehow been able to reach through time uh, and make notice of uh the, you know the time lords in the time lock so it's you know will we learn more oh yeah we'll learn more <laughs> we'll learn more all right well uh 
let's. Uh, I, that's it for my questions because the episode, of course, ends in a very abrupt manner because it is a one, a two parter. It's even in the title. It says "The End of Time Part One." Part one. So you know, which is <laughs> which is unusual for Doctor Who because usually the two parts have different names. Yes, and it's also you know not announced or broadcast it's just you're watching and then the to be continue flashes and i throw the remote at the screen <laughs> but uh we're, we're gonna quickly not end the podcast abruptly but certainly jump into my favorite part of every episode and that is the tardis tidbits so take it away ashley this is ashley's tardis tidbits for the 2009 christmas special the end of time part one This is the first time in the Doctor Who opening credits that the villain is credited there alongside the Doctor and his companion. It was John Sim's idea for the Master to have blonde hair this time around, basing it on the Joker from The Dark Knight, which had just come out in 2008. Originally, Star Trek's Patrick Stewart was offered the role of the narrator. Russell T. Davies originally had the idea to have the Doctor and the Master swap bodies in this episode. However, he realized he had done a similar storyline in Series 2 with New Earth and Cassandra, and he also didn't want to spend David Tennant's final stories with the actor playing somebody else other than the Doctor. Bernard Cribbins had said during Series 4 that he had regretted not getting the chance to travel in the TARDIS, Well, Will finally gets his chance. And at the beginning of this episode, the Doctor mentions marrying good Queen Bess. Now remember, she was angry with him in that brief scene in the Series 3 episode, The Shakespeare Code. Hmm. I wonder if we'll see anything more about this. Hmm. Spoilers. (laughs) there we go thank you so much ashley i love uh every bit of uh newness that you bring uh and all the uh info that uh, just really fills out the episode uh i love uh timothy dalton but patrick stewart with the with the weird uh you know costume from gallifrey i think that would have been awesome Oh yeah, it would have been. But, we, but, but, but Timothy Dalton, you know, just you know, you'll you, there will be more. Tim, I mean, listen, be. Timothy Dalton is in one of my favorite uh, sci-fi campy movies, Flash Gordon. So, <laughs> uh, I I would appreciate if he makes an appearance in the you know Doctor Who sci-fi campiness. So I, I'm all for it. That that's fantastic. Right. Um, and as as uh, Ashley said that this was the the first time that the villain had been listed in the credits this was also the first time in a really long time that there was only males in the in the opening credits. Mm. Uh that David Tennant Johnson and Bernard Cribbins uh were the were the three that were listed that you didn't have a uh because you always had a female companion uh going since the restart of the of the uh show so you always had a female name there so that was something that you know stood out a little bit um i loved the fact that uh, going back to the oud circle when um 
when you had uh, questioning why this man was important. And the doctor actually took over the circle and mm. showed images show of them. the year that of the year that never was mm-hmm. um, from, you know, because obviously the time went back where uh, to show, you know, about Lucy and how she you know, was by his side until the end. Um, until it was, she, she helped cause it, uh, cause his end. Uh, I did like, it was called broad where they were for the re- resurrection of the, of the master was Broadfell church. Mm-hmm. Cause it sounds like, or Broadfell prison, sorry, but it sounds like broad church. Yeah. <laughs> um, took me a couple of times of seeing that going. I'm, I was, I, I knew I was reading it wrong. Yeah. The first time. Um, I did, I, you know, there was, you know, fun things as the, uh, Wolf, when they were eating, uh, uh, in the cafe, we we're talking about how the Atmos thing and how, you know, yeah. they had fun doing that and trying to bring up other things. Uh, well, I loved how, uh, Donna ends up tracking the doctor down and Wolf does the same thing using his, right. uh, what was it? The silver... Oh, what do they call themselves? Yeah. It was like the silver, silver cloak, silver, silver cloak, cloak, you know, just activating all these, uh, retired, you know, people that was like, well, so-and-so saw this and she called it in and then we tracked it down to this, right. uh, you know, it was like, what an inventive, uh, family, you know, cause as we determine, it's not necessarily super easy to find the doctor, um, but people that clearly want to are able to do so, and Wilford just right. perfectly does it. Uh, so I, I love that bit. And then one of the things that I had when I was first watching this episode, and again, I saw this last time I watched it uh, yesterday, when the doctor is tracking down the master and the helicopters come from overhead. Mm-hmm. And he, the, the, the master has his arms out and the two ropes come down. I, for a second, thought he was going to wrap his arms just around the ropes <laughs> and, be, and just be taken up in the, elev- in the, in the helicopter uh, instead of the guys dropping. That was just, I just saw it coming yeah, and then it yeah. didn't happen. I was like, oh, come on. That would have been the perfect move. I, I kind of, uh, I thought the same thing. <laughs> it just was, it was just the way that it, it looked. It was fun. Um, there is a, um, a little bit of a, a something to, to, uh, here in part two, um, that I won't say now, but one of the, the two guys, the two, I guess, homeless guys that were out in the, in the quarry, uh, ordering hamburgers from the truck mm-hmm. uh one he called the, the one was called ginger mm-hmm. uh and that has been mentioned before um that the, the when the doctor was uh upset that he hadn't been turned into a redhead <laughs> yes uh, i always wanted to uh, be ginger right um yeah so that's uh Interesting. And that's really, uh, that's about it. Cause there's so much, obviously we'll come up with the next episode. The problem with the, the, always the problem with the two parter is that how much, how much can I, you know, mm-hmm. do I want to give away, uh, now nothing, or wait nothing. until, or wait until it's, uh, we get a better idea of what's happening. 
Yeah, we um, want to give nothing away because yeah. that's that's the way it well, should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, well, I'll say one more thing: was that the I love that the uh, uh, doctor can see through the uh, the field that the uh, Vinvoci were were putting up to look like humans. And he walks in and says, "Like, oh, you're using a shimmer. Uh-huh. Just use this sonic screwdriver and shut it down real quick." Shimmer, <laughs> shimmer. Uh, yeah, that was, so that I, was yeah. you know, th- there were a lot of parts in this episode that uh, made me giggle. Um, and while I, I still have a visceral, physical response to the master because of how uh, just menacing and evil he was the last time we we encountered him, uh I, I appreciated this a little bit more because it it made him uh, it made him into a more palatable, just regular bad guy. You know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, which I appreciate because again, like just the psychological damage that that episode caused. Uh, it, you know, I'm still getting over it. It, it was it was difficult. Uh, so. This was clearly uh, a thing that made sense, uh, but and I'm sure I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get shut down here. It did seem like the doctor was saying there is something else that, that that they they have to team up together to defeat some other menace that is happening or coming up through this. The, am I reading the tea leaves correctly? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, and one other thing. Let's uh, briefly mention the woman in white, because we have not mentioned the woman in white yet, who was seen only by Wilf. Yes, uh, several times. Uh, first time in the church. She, yeah, uh, she talked to him. We're talking there about how the doctor might the be coming back and appeared on the TV, and you actually saw her appear on a screen, looking at Wilf, but Wilf, but he wasn't looking at her, and mm-hmm. then she disappeared. Um, but, um, you know, she's important. Mm. Um, and that's all I'm going to leave it at that, but she's important, <laughs> but that's, it's someone that we have to, uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue to be seen in part two. Well, but we hadn't mentioned her yet, so we needed to mention her. <laughs> well, I'm sure part two is going to have all sorts of, uh, fun, uh, revelations. So, Let's not waste any time and get there. So thank you, John, for joining me this week. And oh, my uh, pleasure. I would love for you to uh, appear in next week's episode uh, so that we can wrap this up. Well, it's Christmas Christmas episode tradition. And even though this is uh, will turn into a uh, part two was was aired uh, New Year's Day 2010. Uh, I will I will gladly be here for that as well. You will join us for New Year's Day. So thank you for that. And thank you, dear listener, for making it to the end of another exciting first time, Lord. As always, we are hugely appreciative of your support by listening to the show. If you have not already, visit our website at firsttimelord.com. There you can comment on this episode and all of our previous episodes. If you want to support the show uh, financially, we have a merch store there with some cool t-shirts and other stuff that you can get. Uh, 
if merch is not your thing, but you still want to help out financially, you can click on the link that will take you to our Patreon site, or you can search for me, Daniel Levain, on Patreon and uh, become a subscriber that way. Help the podcast out through that. Or most importantly of all, uh, share the podcast. I am sure there are people in your life whom, like me, procrastinated through their life uh, and have wasted so much time not watching Doctor Who that now is the time to get them in, say, listen to this podcast. This guy did it. You can do it, too. And together we'll grow the fandom even more and get more people into it. But uh, at the end of the day, I can't wait to get to the end of what has been an amazing run with David Tennant as the 10th Doctor and the amazing run that Russell T. Davies has, uh, which uh, now we know is not the end of his journey with Doctor Who. He will come back to it. Uh, So while we eagerly await for that return... We have next week's episode to look forward to, so join me next week for the conclusion of The End of Time. See you next week, everybody. Alon Z.